It's a numbers game. You hear this cliche applied to so many situations these days, interviewing for jobs, dating, and yes, search. But it is an apt cliche. The more outreach you do, the more sims you look at, the more likely you are to find the right business to buy. Well, when a situation is a numbers game, you can often develop a system to methodically work those numbers. Today's guest, Sharag Shah, did just that. A self-described systematic guy, Sharag used Kanban to manage his deal flow. He time-blocked the hours every morning when he'd do his search work, and he refined his whole process on a weekly basis. I, too, think of myself as a systematic guy, so I spent some time with Sharag in the weeds of his process. Well, ultimately, his systems bore fruit. Today, Sharag and his wife own a dog training business that does upwards of $2 million per year and $600,000 of SDE. Here he is, Sharag Shah, owner of Sit Means Sit in Austin. Welcome to Acquiring Minds, a podcast about buying businesses. My name is Will Smith. Acquiring an existing business is an awesome opportunity for many entrepreneurs. And on this podcast, I talk to the people who do it. You've probably heard me mention SM Bash, the conference in Orlando for acquisition entrepreneurs, SMB owners, and investors. It was such a valuable event, I met no less than 12 Acquiring Minds guests there in person, hosts of other podcasts in this space. And if you're on SMB Twitter, it was a who's who of all the biggest accounts. Well, SM Bash is coming back around, this time in Austin in April, and I'll definitely be going back. I'm told by the SM Bash team that this year they're going even deeper on content relevant to search, including a focus on finding investors for your acquisition and inviting a lot of investors to attend as well. For serious searchers or those who've recently acquired, SM Bash is really the leading event. There are others associated with universities, but as far as I'm aware, this is the biggest and best indie conference for entrepreneurship through acquisition. Check out smbash.com, six letters, S-M-B-A-S-H.com, or click the link in the show notes. See you in Austin. Sharag Shah, thank you for joining me today on Acquiring Minds. Yeah, great. No, happy to be here. Long-time listener, so. Awesome. I, lo- I, I love to have guests on who have been listeners before. Sharag, you and your wife recently acquired Sit Means Sit, a dog training franchise in Austin, Texas. In fact, really close to where you live, uh, although that was a coincidence. We'll get to that. Dog training, uh, to me at least, sounds like a really fun business to be in. Training animals has always kind of fascinated me. So this one feels like you know, a business where the, the content of the day-to-day, the, the thing you're selling is really really fun and attractive. So I'm eager to learn about the dog training business. Yeah. But let's start off with just the context. How about a little background on you, please, Shrug? I was kind of introduced to uh, the idea of entrepreneurship as a small business underwriter. Um, I worked at a community development financial institution at the beginning of my career uh, doing 7A SBA loans. Um, and that gave me a lot of exposure to kind of a broad swath of industries, company sizes, um, and, and, and most importantly, like how to analyze um, the actual performance um, and uh, sustainability of certain companies. So 
Um, that, that definitely introduced me to just this concept of entrepreneurship. Well, I wasn't an underwriter. I thought the next best step would be for some reason to get an MBA. So I went to uh, Babson College, which is known for entrepreneurship. In that process, I met um, uh, an, a software engineer that was working on a kind of a, a small project. I kind of got myself a bit in, intrigued into what he was doing um, and asked him like if I could help in any way, aside from just like, introducing him to whomever so he he being an engineer um he wanted to focus on a lot of the the technical aspects of this thing and then i was like okay well i can i can support from a business development conceptualizing whatever it was so we we worked together to essentially build a, a small software as a service product um basically um in the after hours care uh realm uh, of medical uh, service. So what that means is like if you were to call a doctor, um, let's say you're a pediatrician, um, and their office is closed, instead of like talking to a human operator um, who has no medical background, um, you'd interact with our technology, which would, which would make it faster for you to ultimately provide the doctor details. However, it was in a, in a market that was somewhat, um, let's say, tech, technologically deprived it just kind of fizzled out. So, but kind of took that experience um, and realized like, hey, I like this, this building thing. Um, and I like, I like working with software. Um, and I like working with engineers. So I kind of forayed into um, product management. I did that for four or five years. I liked that a lot. Um, I think I excelled at it, like at every, every place I worked at, like I was either promoted or whatever the case. But um, the one thing that I realized was that I got pretty disengaged at every role relatively, I don't say quickly, but after like a year and a half. So um, kind of taking that experience and then taking the SaaS experience, um, I was like, okay, what can I do next? This year was a really big um, kind of monumental year in the sense that my, my wife um, and I became pregnant. And um, so at that stage, I was like, I can keep working kind of towards this product management career um i'll get frustrated i'll get disengaged um or i can i can kind of re-enter entrepreneurship um and considering my previous experience i wasn't too keen on uh starting a new company i, I knew that uh, it would take a long time it, it was a lot of sacrifice um and considering i'm having a family soon i didn't want to to do that um so uh, I kind of thought about acquisition entrepreneurship. Um, I was introduced to. Had you had you known about acquisition entrepreneurship before? I guess yeah. As a seven A underwriter, you must have seen it a lot. Yeah, I saw it a bit. I, I I didn't realize what the like those businesses were actually doing. I know for a fact that I read the book by then Bill, which probably like everybody reads. Um, and I know there's like there's a few other books, but but you'd read it you'd read it before, right? Before this year when you started getting serious about it. Yeah, I so yeah. Mm -hmm, go ahead. Yeah, I read I read it in passing. I I would just read a lot of I read a lot of business books, right? Just like as yeah. someone who likes to read, and um, I think By Then Bill was kind of one of those books where it's like I'm just reading for fun, just to kind of see like what what's out there. But I met somebody actually last year around like in December that uh, was going to, uh, he's actually going to Harvard Business School. He was taking a class, but he told me his plan. And his plan was like, hey, I'm gonna buy a house. I'm gonna, I'm gonna um, access the equity from the house. And I'm gonna buy a business. I'm like, wow, that sounds like 
genius idea. So after he said that, um, I was like, okay, I'm going to revisit this Biden build book. Um, I, I read it again. And I was like, what's, what can I do? Um, what can I do next? And what I learned from my SaaS experience was like being in a like-minded community of people is really important. So I was actually in an accelerator um, when I, when I uh, kind of built and then launched my, my SaaS company. So I joined um, an acquisition accelerator, acquisition lab. And that kind of, that mm-hmm. made that ma- also, also Walker. Yeah, Dibbles right. Exactly. So program. I kind of went from like an observer to like a committed, serious investor um, by joining the acquisition lab to be, to be frank, uh, because when you're with those, when you're with like wanted folk, like wanted folks, you realize like, okay, they can, they're doing it they're They've done it. Um, it becomes a lot more real. Um, and, and being that it's more realistic, it becomes a lot more achievable. So, um, yep. I mean, there were like thoughts in the process, like, Hey, I can't do this, whatever. Like, and, uh, but again, like I would just kind of show back up, um, kind of interact with the lab, um, kind of revisit the content, just keep kind of my, my nose to the groundstone and just keep, keep moving. And it ultimately kind of led me to where we are today. So, um, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny, Shirag, that you're, that you read the book. Up, I've been built, and it, it didn't immediately grab you. You know, for a lot of my guests, it's it's kind of the, an, an epiphany moment. Yeah. We're like, oh, you know, the light bulb, the epiphany. I mean, they're you know, choose your uh, figure of speech, but they um, immediately are, are grabbed by this path. And it's funny that I mean, I'm sure a lot, I'm sure countless people read the book and they just put it back on the shelf. And okay, that was interesting. Yeah. But for those who actually ultimately do become acquisition entrepreneurs, I mean, those who I interview, like you right now. Um, Oftentimes it's love at first sight, yeah. and in your it's it's just funny that in your case it wasn't for you, but you took a second pass, and maybe you know just didn't hit you at the right time. But funny that you um, didn't have that, and yet still ultimately did decide that the path of buying a business was yeah was what you chose. Yeah, I mean honestly, I think it was it probably boiled down to it being like the mo- most expeditious route to entrepreneurship, uh, considering like where mm-hmm. we were financially and where we were familiarly. Like, like there was actually a point during COVID where my wife and I were uh, exploring like another SaaS. Like her and I were just like, okay, well, we can. We actually were going to build um, like a. It was called Furniture Lab. I mean, this is kind of going off a tangent, but my but my point is that like when you, I think when you have less time, um, you be like it kind it creates a lot of clarity, um, and that's what happened. Yeah. At, with my wife, when we were pregnant, I was like, I got to do something. Um, so, yeah. So you, um, are in the acquisition lab. It's feeling real. You, uh, are in and out and communicating with the community and revisiting the material you're seeing, um, other people who are on this path as well. Uh, and then, so do you go kind of launch into a full-time search at some point where you're no? So actually just hammering it or what? Yeah. So, I mean, I didn't, um, it was actually a, it was a part-time search. Um, so I was, I was, I would wake up, I had a full-time job at the time. I would just wake up like, ex- like in like abnormally early, like four thirty-five. I worked from home. Uh, so that was nice. Um, I dedicate like five to nine, uh, 5 AM to like 9 AM, maybe doing a lot of outreach, um, interacting with brokers, lenders, um, kind of responding to emails, reviewing, uh, my deal flow. Um, and then throughout the day, I'd obviously be committed to my job. Uh, however, like if things did arise, being that I was working from home, 
I could I could attend to them. So if it was a broker call or um, a specific deal I wanted to analyze, I think one thing I'm I'm personally very proud of is just like how I can manage my time um, and like mm -hmm. be able to balance. And I think I do. I'm I'm getting I'm I've got a lot better this this past year at managing boundaries. Um, and so kind of having clear cutoff time and, and so forth. So I, I usually work from like nine to 12 around lunchtime. Like I take a short break, respond to anything else. Um, again, from like one to five, do whatever. And then at work and then from five to like nine, come back at it. So, but it was all, it was all part-time. Um, and then I think on top of that, on the weekends, what I would do a lot is like, I'm a very systematic person. I would just tweak my systems and continuously like try to automate um, and optimize. Um, I had actually hired uh, a virtual assistant at the same time to kind of help me with deal flow. Um, and so like he could, he could do some like very high level filtering as well. Um, I had, I had said, I, my, my goal was ultimately to get a full thing that this was like a Texas based and specifically Austin based search. Um, I wanted to get, I want to get full, exposure um to just texas uh brokers and so i had i was on a lot of email lists i had a lot i had probably built over like 100 relationships to some degree varying degrees so i had him manage a lot of like the more automated like the more like thing that couldn't automate but like i could like delegate to him to some degree so but yeah i was fully well, th th this sounds. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm intrigued by what you put together and how you iterated on it, and how you're a self-described systematic person. So, can you give us a window into what your system looked like, including your virtual assistant there yeah, at the yeah. end? So, like, so anybody who's kind of, kind of lost with that, help, help them out. Yeah. So, and anybody in the acquisition lab could probably like speak to this. I mean, speak to me being systematic because I shared all of this with the lab, and I think that like some folks like still might use it. But I built my system in mm -hmm. Notion. Um, and so, I mean, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with Notion. If they're not, like, it's a, basically, a, it's, a, it's a lot of things. It can be, it's, it's very flexible um, in the sense that, like, you could make it a productivity tool. Um, you can use it for, like, document management. You can use it for a lot of things. I basically built, like, a deal review um, kind of hub, let's say, right? So my process was really, it was not, it's not complicated. I signed up for all of these like uh, email blasts. I built all of these relationships with brokers. And so as part of that, I would just get deals on a daily basis. Um, my job would be, and my job and my VA's job uh, would be kind of like to pr uh, review and kind of exhaust all of these emails, make sure that uh, my inbox is basically at zero every day. Um, and I was looking for my criteria. So my criteria was basically um, needs to be in Central Texas, like uh, ideally in Austin. And the way I defined Central Texas was basically like anywhere from like Waco to San Antonio, like kind of an I like, there's a, a highway I-35 and it's kind of this corridor. Mm -hmm. And basically it was like, I'm going to drive like an hour. Um, so but I was also willing to look at like other Texas-based deals just because that central Texas corridor is not high in, uh, I'd say, uh, activity, let's say volume. So I kind of had to open up my eyes. I didn't want to be too constrained. Um, so we kind of just reviewed these emails, whatever. But the the key was if there was something that was, um, like, let's say, compelling enough, we'd extract some of that data into Notion. 
Um, and so he would do it mostly manually. And basically what we would do um, is create like, I mean, you call it like a deal brief, whatever you want to call it. But there was a lot of things in this. Um, and this was actually based on uh, my, I guess, my education acquisition lab. So I would look at, um, I'll actually, I'll just actually speak to all of these, all this data that I would try to extract. So um, there was a fit score. So like how I felt about the business from like a instinctual level, like it was high, medium, low, where it was located, um, where I found it. Um, and I'll get to like how I graded like the sources eventually. I actually got to the point where um, all of the sources, whether it be like a website or a broker, I would grade uh, based on like some specific criteria and that would kind of weigh into like how seriously I might consider their uh, like their specific listing, um, what the SDE was asking price. So I get a multiple from that. Um, and then what I would do with all of that is they'll kind of like enter this like to review uh, Kanban um, I don't know, are you familiar with Kanban at all or like what that that might mean? Conceptually, but I've never actually used yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, it's basically like just like a visual, it's like a visual way of managing statuses. So instead of like, say, like dropping <laughs> things down and like whatever, it's actually pretty common in like, I think sales, right? Like pipeline management. Like if you're an opportunity, if you're like a lead to a prospect to an opportunity, to like whatever so what we 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 basically replicated that in the sense of like um in our in my kanban i had so i'd have a backlog of basically everything that was of interest would go to a backlog and then i'd make sure that um i requested a sim obviously which it would lead to signing an nda um once i had everything it'd, be, it'd go into review it'd go into analysis um and then at that point that's kind of like the crossover right where i'd submit an LOI um, or I would no longer be interested. Um, and there's also other uh, columns for sold um, and, and due diligence. So basically what I could see at any moment in time is like how many deals was I looking at? And this also like leads to um, again what the acquisition lab might suggest. I mean this is like an advertisement for the acquisition lab. <laughs> so um <laughs> well happily they're a sponsor yeah 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 so, so it works <laughs> um one thing that they suggest and i kind of augmented it for myself was like kpis right like how many deals are you looking at per day yeah. um which ones like are actually which ones actually fit your criteria so i just had targets right so i'd be like okay well i want to like I, if i want to close by this day i want to review x number of deals and um i want certain number of these deals to be in certain stages so and that would kind of like elevate or um, kind of decrease my activity, let's say, like for the weekend or for mm -hmm. like the day, right? Like I could sense like, okay, I need to put more energy into this um, or I need to change my strategy. And that's where on the weekend, I'd kind of tweak things because I'd be like, okay, well, like, yeah. I'm not going to hit this target if I, if, I keep, if I keep acting like. So kind of every week was kind of like a mini experiment, like a small experiment. So. And just to just to emphasize this point, so people who understand, you know, this is kind of the the old cliche, like it's a numbers game. And if you yeah. if you imagine like crossing the finish line with a business that you've acquired, that there's a funnel, and you know you need to be filling this funnel all the time. Right. And you know, at the top of the funnel are you know X number of opportunities, a hundred opportunities that are going to be whittled down and whittled down as you look more and more closely at them, and then 
ultimately there's just going to be one that makes it all the way to the bottom of your funnel. Yeah. Um, and salespeople, this for salespeople uh, and marketing people, this is very natural. They they think in these terms, right. and and um, but but it's really useful because it's like it forces you to think backwards. So it's like, okay, I want right. to buy a business. Well, how many, that means I need to have, you know, three LOIs and 10, you know, conversations going and 30, you know, 30 interesting businesses in a hundred, you know, listings that I'm at, you know, that I, that are a maybe and, yeah. you know, 500, you know, 500 actually listings hitting my, my inbox every month or something. Yep, yep. And so, and then, so you say to yourself like, okay, if I don't have those 500 coming in every month, then I know in 30 days, I'm going to be really thin. Right. And so it's just filling the pipeline and being numerical about it and understanding like kind of the steepness of your funnel and, and how much, you know, how much drop off there is at every stage. Yeah. It's really, it's really, it can be quite, like you said, I mean, it's a system and it can be actually kind of a puzzle and fun. And, and it certainly can also give you comfort. Like yeah. as long as I'm filling the funnel at this rate every month, you know, I know that I'm doing what I should to like, at the end of the month, have some real opportunities I'm looking right. at. Because salespeople, again, will will learn this the hard way, young, immature salespeople and acquisition entrepreneurs, like you can turn around and think you were working on three awesome opportunities and you're going to buy one of them. All three fall, th fall, fall through. You look up and you got nothing. Right. You got, you got to start over from scratch, refill your entire pipeline. You got to like do so many things in parallel and concurrently mm -hmm. that like you, you just, it's not a, lin it's not linear. You just can't treat it as a linear process. And if you yeah. treat it as a linear process, you'll be stuck. You'll, you'll get stuck a lot more often than you, you, you could if you just treated everything in parallel. Totally. So, and, and the classic hazard is to be really down, far down the path on one yeah, business and absolutely. be, you know, get your heart more and more set on it, get more and more invested on it emotionally, imagine yourself in that business and then just leave the rest of your pipeline, the rest of your, you know, your deal sourcing to the wayside. Um, that's the temptation and it takes a lot of discipline right. not to do that. And it's so important you not do that because of course, if you lose that business, which you know, prob probabilistically, you, you, you may yeah. well, then you're going to be, you know, you're going to be complete, completely dry when you lose that opportunity. So yeah, absolutely, cool. Yeah. Um, Chirag, the your virtual assistant. So this is somebody, I assume, offshore that you found on Upwork sort of thing? Yeah. So like, I, I, um, I hired somebody in India, what he would do with this, within the acquisition realm, is just actually keep up with like brokers. So I know a lot of like this might go like against what a, what a lot of uh, acquisition entrepreneurs actually do or like searchers do, which is like using a CRM to build a very large broker network and then blasting them with automated emails. Um, I kind of took the route of being a little more personalized um, at the beginning and see how that worked. And then my follow-ups, I had him do all my follow-ups and all my follow-ups were kind of based on some of the data that. I received from brokers um, or initial conversation. So he would look at, um, I had a, a different table and a different, not Kanban, like a different view for the status of my broker relationships. And he would review that. Um, and then based on like the status, like if it was, say I received a SIM from them, right? Or I an NDA with them. Um, and uh, like, even or if I had no contact with them, right? It would kind of lead to like, Kind of, that's kind of a condition. So then I would be like, okay, well, if it if I've had no contact with them, send them this like 
really simple templatized email reminding them of who I am. But if I receive the SIM, then I have had some like warm connection with them. So use this templatized email. So he's basically doing some form of automation, but it's like selective automation. And I know like I'm sure I could use some CRM to do some conditional stuff, but it was an easy way to 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 work with him and to get that done. And then like he might he might report back to me on um if they responded, um and like what other like listings that, that broker might have. And um, is yeah, it was basically a lot of communications. Is so. he doing this following up with the brokers in your name? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. In my name. Yeah. Um so it's keeping those, you yeah. know, those broker relationships warm. You had a, you got, yeah, had a yeah. whole set of conditionals. Um yeah. and by warm it basically means emailing them in some shape, way, shape, yeah. or form in your name. Right, right. I want to share an update on the acquisition lab. As you know, the lab is a highly vetted, cohort-based accelerator and community for people serious about buying a business. After going through the lab's month-long intensive, you have ongoing access to almost daily Q&A sessions with advisors, regular live deal reviews with Walker Deibel, author of Buy Then Build, potential deal team introductions, and a very active Slack group with other searchers on the path. Well, the update is that the lab recently passed 60 businesses acquired and for well over $100 million in aggregate transaction value. Also, all members now enjoy lifetime access to the lab. Because when you buy a business, it's often just the first of many, and the lab wants to support you in every deal, not just your first. Lastly, check out my recent interview with Shane Ursum, episode 105. Shane acquired a business with over a million dollars in EBITDA in just six months, and he attributes a lot of his deal success to what he learned in the lab. Check out acquisitionlab.com or email the lab's director, Chelsea Wood, chelsea at buythenbuild.com. Okay. Well, we're, we're just in your search now. All right. So let now tell us about uh, finding the business that you acquired. So how did, how did you find it? Yeah. So, I mean, this goes back to like that Kanban view, honestly. So my, my wife and I were going to go on they were, they were, we were going to go on vacation to Greece. Uh, well, we were actually, um, the next day planning on going. And, um, at that point, I'm going to put my search on hold, obviously, because I'm going to be on vacation. So, um, I went back to my view and I was like, okay, there's some, there's some deals here that are like in review, right? Or like, let's say, I think it was, I, I submitted an NDA and I got no date and I got no SIM. So like, okay, I got, I, I sent in the information. Why haven't I received anything? So, this specific deal, um, or this specific listing, I I guess I got like a an early notification, like a pre-public notification from a broker, um, and uh, I responded to him. I had actually never spoken to him before. It was actually just like a, a blind sign up on a on a website, um, and uh, I reached out to him, um, and uh, like basically. He didn't respond to me. His he had a virtual assistant. He responded to me, <laughs> and that assistant was like, "Hey, um, this this listing or this business isn't on the market yet, but um, we you can send an NDA with us, and when it is available, we will send you the sim." We just wanted to get, I guess, like an early flavor of demand. But anyways, um, I um, yeah, I submitted an NDA. It was like a week. I didn't hear anything, and I was like. Just um, again, I was, I was about to go on vacation, so I was like, "Okay, 
there's a few deals here that I've submitted NDAs for, no SIMs. I'm just going to reach out again. Um, so I reached out again, and um, I reached out like on a on like a Monday night, um, and then on a Tuesday morning, um, they responded to me like, "Hey, the SIM is ready. You can access it here." I was like, "Okay, why didn't?" I was kind of kind of disappointed because they didn't tell me, um, and I expected them to, but that's the that's the reason you follow exactly. up exactly. And um, and so um, it was really. This is like where it gets really kind of like, I don't know, serendipitous in a way, mm-hmm. because um, I opened the listing and it was actually a dog training company that my wife and I had considered literally using for our most recently adopted dog. We, did, we fostered a dog that we really loved um, and uh, we, we wanted to get him trained. And, this, and like, it was funny because... When we were like reviewing this website, we we're like, "Oh wow! Like, how great would it be to like be these owners? these owners look so happy on the, on the website." <laughs> and so, um, and just like a really fun, fun company. And uh, we were we were going to inquire after our vacation. And so, when I got this listing, I opened it. It was this company. It was unbelievable. Wait, wait! You were going to inquire about the business? You? No, we were going to inquire about training. About training. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, right? Yeah, as yeah, cl- yeah, as yeah, customers, yeah. 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 Yeah, as customers. But but yeah. you had already looked around the website, submitted a form yeah. or whatever, and like, yeah. and said to yourselves, huh, wouldn't it be interesting to own this business? These these owners yeah. look like they're having a good time. What yeah. a coincidence. I love it. Yeah, and I don't know if other like searches go through those like those like not mind games, but like those like like those simulations to themselves, like, hey, like and they go something like, Oh, this is a cool business. It'd be cool to own this business. Oh, because sure. like yeah. you can like just sense like, oh, like there's a lot of activity here. Like if you're you have any financial sense, like, okay, this is probably pretty profitable. Um yeah. and no way I and I knew their price points. Somebody was like, Yeah, this is a pretty profitable business. Like they they're doing well. And they, they had a lot of scale in Austin. So like, okay, well, they're probably one of the if not the better best one here. So um yeah, so again, like serendipitous, like amazing coincidence that it was this business and um yeah so actually that are you a superstitious person because no, you know if no, you were you'd be like this, not, this not, is a sign yeah no you're systematic you're not yeah not, not, but come on but yeah but i mean how how does one deny the feeling of like well this is a sign yeah so um that was a two we were going on vacation on wednesday that day i was like very aggressive um about uh, getting a seller interview. Like, I need a seller, I need a seller interview like now, like today. Um, but I couldn't get one until that Friday and we were actually already on vacation. So I took the seller, we were in Greece. I, I took the seller interview, but it went really, it went well. So, um, and, and what was, what was even, I guess, more of a coincidence is that the seller um, was a product manager. He used to be a product manager. So he, 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 as a franchise, he started the, like this specific location 12 years ago after becoming disengaged as a product manager. And so like <laughs> immediately him and I hit it off. Like he was like, he, I gave him my spiel. He was like, this is unbelievable because he just, he just saw a lot of himself and me in the sense, like I was younger yeah. than him. Like I had a technical background. Um, and so like we resonated immediately. Uh, and even to this day, like even we can get into like how things are, we'll, we'll get into how things are going. Like I can reach out to him with like technical questions. He'll respond because he knows that like, I know what I'm doing when it comes to like 
the systems that he's built. Like I'm, I'm and like it's yeah. kind of his legacy, right? So, um, well, that must yeah. have not only given him him kind of an affinity for you, but you comfort in 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 your decision, or your potential decision to buy this business as well, because you know a lot of searchers, I think, and my guests are like, you know, especially if they come from corporate or tech or something, it's like, wow, am I really gonna? get off the traditional train here and, and go run a doggy daycare or, or excuse me, doggy dog training or whatever it yeah, is. Yeah. And, you know, there's that nagging doubt to, cause it is kind of unusual. And, and in fact, how I found you was on LinkedIn, you had made the announcement of this acquisition. And I think that was kind of like your opening line was, was something like, you know, yeah, I've it's been weird. doing something traditional and now yeah, I'm not. Yeah. So, so to see this guy who you might buy a business from who similarly like was on a tradition, I guess was a product manager on some sort of traditional path and then got off that train and on this one and presumably has felt, felt that it was valuable. Must've yeah. been kind of must've reinforced your own decision to pursue this path. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and what, what's great is that like, and we'll get into the franchise network too, is a, what's even more validating is a lot of the folks who own different locations are coming from like white collar professions. Like actually like one of the, the like a few of the close folks that I, I network with in the, net, in the franchise network, they used to be like sales executives or attorneys or like they'd work in tech, for example. So like they understand that like not only this is like a fun business, it's a lucrative mm -hmm. business because they're moving from like a relatively like like maybe high powered, but at least like well paying position to start this business. And they understand like the risk and so forth with it all. And they're very comfortable with it. So yeah, absolutely. That definitely mm -hmm. was validating. Great. So. Cool. So he likes you, you like him and you come home from Greece and the negotiation gets underway. Give yeah. Give us some parameters of uh, of the business. How how much was it doing? What does SDE look like? Like what kind of, what what is a dog training business yeah. franchise look like and by the way so is this a single unit or is it a territory how are the franchisees sold i think it's a territory yeah and i think i said back to but there is a physical location yeah there's two physical locations um okay. and so i would also say that like uh it wasn't just him it was also his wife his wife is kind of like mm. i would say like involved to the same degree my wife is in that like she's influential and and not and like not so much like the technical aspect of the business management but from like the people and cultural aspect uh, and so I think I, I resonated well with both of them and also considering like we, they told me, uh, very frankly, like they wanted someone who like dogs, like love dogs, because that's a big part of being a really good owner here is like having a lot of empathy, not only for the human, uh, but also the, yeah. the pet. Yeah. Right. Sure. Um, so it really, I actually had my, my wife, uh, I think she was. In, on the seller interview, just like not so vocal, but I think she was on it. So it was kind of like um, not just me and him, but it was like the, the two of us. And and so I think that that kind of helped a little bit as well. Um, so um, yeah, so going back to like your your question about how, like what a dog training company does in terms of financial performance. So uh, 2021 was a banner year for this company because of COVID puppies. So they did around um, two million um, in revenue, like around like literally like one point nine five or something, and um, their uh, their SDE was around six hundred k. That was pretty good. Like I mean, like for considering where they were, and they had taken a a significant step back in their business um, in twenty one as well. They they um, hired uh, a general manager, 
Um, and so they were, uh, they were kind of like, I wouldn't say they weren't passively owning it. They were still like, like semi-active in it, but, but um, they themselves were starting to think about retirement in the next step. So they were like, okay, what can we do to, to really systematize this and pass this on uh, relatively seamlessly? So that was la- the- also, also cool that the, so that 600K SDE is post general manager. So you don't have to yeah. allocate some of your yeah. SDE to a general manager. Yeah. That's great. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So ni- this is a nice, nicely profitable business. It's a, it's a great, bi- I mean, from like so many perspectives, it's a great business. Cause yeah, the manager and like, they, like again, like this, I really respect this seller because like he's, he was so, um, uh, like, Again, like strategic and and hiring as well. Um, he has all of his employees do. I think it's the culture index test or survey. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and like and keep in mind, these are like these are dog trainers, right? They're not like you're not hiring like a sales professional or like a a white collar employee. He's really looking for fit, and so I really appreciated that because the employee. We'll get into like the employees, like any level of attrition, uh, which there's been none. Um, and these employees like are just awesome fits for this specific, like not like this specific company, but like they're really good fits for this culture. So, um, and this, this manager was a, is a great fit. He's awesome. Um, and so, and like, he's, he's the opposite of me. Like I'm like, kind of like, um, a pretty, let's say like, I don't know, like a growth oriented, um, an innovative person. Uh, he is very tactical. And I mean, I can be tactical, but he's like very tactical. So um, we make a really good team. But um, yeah, considering considering everything that like came with the business, the SD is was awesome. I was really surprised by, but but actually, like the twenty twenty one was a good year. Um, twenty and nineteen are probably um, I wouldn't say better representations, but they probably balance it out. So they did around like one point one point seven one point eight. Those two years, and their SD then was around 500k. So, like you could say, the average is around 525, 550, uh, rather mm-hmm. than like 600 over like the past. Um, just considering last, because last year was just, uh, it was a great year. Well, it was so, an up, um, it was an up year, Shrug, but it wasn't like you know you hear about these COVID some COVID businesses that like doubled. yeah 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 like yeah, this, this yeah is, that's yeah. what 200 like, over so 15 percent yeah 10 15 percent nothing crazy yeah. yeah yeah and so like. I think what came with that too, um, which might not be in all of the numbers, is like the the migration, the mig- kind of, and like this is kind of what I'm not. I would say to some degree, I'm betting on this. Is being in Austin, there's been like a migration of affluent, uh, like more, I say, like more affluent population migrating Austin. So uh, with that, with that, they typically can afford these types of services. Um, but that's like another topic to some degree. But yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's going to go back to like 2020. I think it'll stick around like where 21 was. Um, so yeah, it's pretty good. Let's, let's round out the deal, the transaction, and then let's talk about both the franchise nature of this and more about the, the business of dog training. So um, so round us out on the, uh, on the transaction. Was it, um, was the negotiation pretty straightforward? His documentation was great. Like there was nothing like no gotchas or, um, I mean, I guess I'm still, uh, unearthing any gotchas at this point, but there hasn't been any surprises, let's say. Um, 
but yeah, it was, it was clean. Like we had a, obviously like a data center and he, he was extremely responsive and, and so forth and, and kind of providing all the information. Um, so that was it competitive. It was, so it was like, I asked him like towards the end, like after we were past due diligence, like were there other buyers and there were, but they weren't, they were more so, um, like I'd say like uh, strategic buyers. Um, or mm. buyers that he did not resonate with. Um, I just wanted to buy mm -hmm. a business for the for the sake of buying, which is fine. I mean, I think like it just depends on on the seller and like what they want in a buy. I think that's actually one thing that should should be uh, emphasized in a lot of cases is like there has to be a really good buyer seller fit. Um, and in this case, like it was great. And actually, like we didn't we didn't talk about like a. I think we met, met, might have talked about this. In our first conversation, I had a previous, um, had a previous LOI that was um, uh, accepted, but that buyer and I, had, but that seller and I had a terrible fit, um, and so, <laughs> um, in any case, yeah. So, yeah, it went well. Negotiations were straightforward. Um, I did. Uh, I mean, there was like some sticking points, like in terms of um, the. I'd say like the the trailing twelve months wasn't exactly where the bank needed it to be. So the actually this is a big part. The seller actually had to take an unexpected seller note, a pretty sizable seller note. Like I think it was like twenty percent of the of the sale price, and he was okay with it. The actual uh, acquisition price was around one point seven one, um, and of that, uh, like three hundred something k is in a seller note, and the remainder is is financed by the SBA. Um, the seller note is, is it? Wait, sorry. It's just, just seller note and SBA? And I mean, I had my own equity injections. Oh, okay. Yeah. And how, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so that was 10%. Um, 10%. Yeah. Yeah. And that was made up of, um, I think this is a good point too. Is like, I accessed my HELOC for this. So I had the, the, there's three parts to my equity injection. It was basically all my my real estate assets, um, uh, what my real estate assets had generated in some form or another. So I have a small residential portfolio, and I've generated around like fifty, sixty k in in like profit. Um, I take the past two years. Plus, I made um, a pretty wise decision in our personal home, but and like that, we that appreciated pretty greatly. Um, I acquired a HELOC, and then I raised a small amount from my family. Um, mm -hmm. and so those three parts were my equity injection. So I came to the table with around like 200. Um, but really when you think about it, um, my, my only contribution was that I would say that real estate investment portfolio saving that capital, but it was just capital that was going to be redeployed anyway towards some asset. So, um, it was, I, I don't know, it's, you can look at it in a lot of different ways. But personally, I didn't put a put in a lot of capital. Um, but yeah, that was it. That's kind of the, I guess, the deal makeup. And the the twenty percent seller note was just to to make it work with the bank. Yeah. So it, it wasn't okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. And um, let's see. So so one point seven one. So just what is that? Like a three and a half multiple? If we assume five fifty. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's like it's fair. I mean, I and I, I looked at. I mean, it's like probably at a premium, to be honest. But like I, I, I think we might have mentioned we talked about this. 
one of the locations is like a stone throw away. So, I mean, I can't really, I, I, I can't beat that, like in terms of like my commute <laughs> or, um, so that was nice. And just, I don't think we've set the timeline here, Shrug. Yeah. So, um, LOI was at the end of July. Um, acquisition was around obviously early October. And yeah, now I'm, yeah, around, is it four months or three months? No, it, it's three. And by the way, the pregnancy came to pass and you had, your son was born yeah. on November 19th. So um, lots of, lots of changes in the Shaw household. Oh, very exciting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Shrug, I want to talk about um, the fact that it was a franchise. So um, these are themes that I'm hitting a lot now. I'm talking to a lot more, uh, more and more people in, um, at the intersection yeah. of franchise and ETA. Um you know, one thing, so we all know that franchising it feels a little bit more restrictive. Some people don't like that. And I will highlight the fact that you said of yourself that you kind of have an independent streak. That was kind of part of the reason that you would kind of yeah. exhaust yourself after 18 months in your PM roles um, and just feel a little, um, you know, you chafe at the oversight and the lack of creativity. And so square that circle for me because franchising has that, has that reputation. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, as part of my strategy to kind of exhaust the state of Texas, right, in terms of like coverage, um, I started to, as part of it, consider franchise resales. So I interviewed, I interviewed a lot of franchises in a sense of like what their system was, what they offered, um, what they expected from me. Um, and so as part of that, I basically learned a lot about franchises and their different models um so there's obviously like the model that's very prescriptive right like they're like hey like this is our technology this is our service model this is our pricing this is our marketing your only job is to deploy it and uh oversee like a specific territory or geography um with uh with that said uh sit means sit is is a franchise in the sense that uh the delivery model is somewhat prescribed and by that i mean the dog training method is is prescribed like we we actually do use um an e-collar to to train our dogs um however when it comes to the business practices um there's very little prescription so what that means is you can package the training in any way you want you can price it in any way you want um you can market it relatively flexibly like you you do have there are some boundaries um but the boundaries are natural considering the type of training that we offer. Um, and so there are sit means sits that offer training, like day training, um, like during the day. They offer boarding overnight and they might offer grooming and also uh, like even even some type of like day boarding. Right. Um, we don't we don't offer all of that, but it all just depends on your market. So when it comes to like the business practice of uh, profitability. Like it ultimately is dependent on you. Um, and that even goes so far as to the systems as well. So um, all like there's kind of, there's a few camps of uh, technology stacks within the franchise. Um, we specifically use Salesforce. Like our, uh, uh, the previous owner built a very, uh, let's say um, very robust um, Salesforce instance uh, and it's proprietary to dog training um, for our franchises so we use it and then we actually resell those licenses to um, other franchises in the system as well so it's 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 a really it's really open 
from that perspective, from like a systems and business management perspective. And they, and again, and I think that one thing that I, I uh, did not mention is the, the fee structure. So um, I, I would say the more prescriptive that you are, uh, the higher the royalty fee and other types of fees. Um, in this case, uh, being that they are less prescriptive, um, the only fee that I pay is like a territory fee. And it's like a few hundred dollars of territory. And that's it. Like there's nothing, there's no royalty. That's it? There's no, that's your only franchise fee? Yeah. There's no royalty fee. There's nothing like that. So, um, wow. yeah, yeah. So my, my fee is around um, $1,000 a month. So that's, yeah. So that's why like, wow. that, that's another reason why like I was attracted to this franchise. I interviewed a lot of franchises. I spoke to like, a lot of home service franchises, automotive franchises, and um, kind of just tried to kind of build a mental model of all of them. And uh, this sits at like the end of the spectrum where it's the most profitable type of franchise. Um, or you can make it extremely profitable. So Had you had you actually talked to Sit Me and Sit Corporate before this opportunity came in your lap? No, 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 no. No, okay. No. But they're um, great. So actually one thing to keep in mind too is that like, Ownership structure matters a lot. So like a lot of franchises, as you probably know, are private equity firms um, mm -hmm. or like second, uh, third generation owners. And, and uh, or like, so this means it's owned by the founders and you have direct act. If I, if I pulled out my phone right now, I could call either founder um, and he'd be willing to give me some type of feedback. So, um, and that's awesome. Like just having that level of, of access and like intimacy to things. And they're very open. And so- it's it's actually interesting, and it's a. I think you told me it was a. Tw it's a twenty five year old business, but the the actual franchising it started franchising only in twenty nineteen. Yeah, like late two thousand. Late two yeah. thousands. Yeah. So it's a. So as a yeah. franchisor, it's twelve, thirteen, fourteen years old. So not yeah, super not mature, but yeah. also not too young. Um, yeah. And did you like look at the, what other research did you do about the franchise? Did you look at the FDD, for example? I did. Yeah. I looked at the yeah. FDD. I mean, so um, as part of my due diligence, um, I entered conversations with the, with, with corporate. And um, as part of that, like we had an initial interview, it went well, and I had a series of questions. They answered them punctually and, and thoroughly. Um, and so yeah, I mean, and there's nothing in the... And they, they provide the FTD, I yeah, assume. They provided it immediately, yeah. so... Yeah. And, and um, well, I, I want to ask more about uh, Sit Means Sit, but before I do that, just as an aside, were the, when you did your research into a bunch of different franchises, were there any that you were attracted to that you'd like to just call out and put on people's radar? There's a home service one. It was uh, Budget Blinds, and... Sure. They so I was just that's so funny. I was just nosing around budget blinds last year. Yeah, night. they have a really good um so actually this is the interesting part with private equity and private ownership, um, or like familial ownership. They were owned by private equity, and then private equity sold it, I think, to a family. And there's been a significant change in the dynamic between franchisees and franchisors, uh, because of essentially the attention and care that this family is giving this specific brand. Because when you have like a private equity firm that owns multiple brands, they don't, they don't, they treat them like what we would treat them as like a portfolio of assets, which mm -hmm. is if you're on the flip side of that, it sucks because they're just treating you as like a kind of like what the numbers state. So um, budget blind has, I think, improved dramatically. And I think the past two or three years, 
because of that trans that was actually what the the franchise representative was explaining to me and they do a really cool job they do, like actually like they're like um like i'd say cross pollination among the network is really good they like they have a lot of resources for new uh prospective franchisors and then once you're in it I think they have a, like a relatively good network of like uh, of folks who are going to help each other out. And same means it is like that too. Like we we have we don't have the right like our resources are good; they're good enough, but like our technology can be a little better in ter- in terms of like knowledge sharing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. well, yeah, but your mind is good. You're going to check them out. They're, they're okay. okay. They're good. Okay. Um, circling back now to sit means sit. So um, so really interesting about this the the fact that they're really not very prescriptive. And the, the thing that they're intent on is that you use their method. So I guess the founders came up with their own kind of proprietary method of training dogs is the idea. Yeah. Yeah. To some degree. Yeah. Like, I mean, like we, like I mentioned, we use an e-collar remote collar um, to, and it really, it's attention-based training. So we're trying to get, and, and so I think the one thing, the, the objection that we receive a lot is that we are shot collar trainers. And um, in, in, in reality, we're using the collar very differently in the sense of uh, we're trying to get the dog's attention and then uh, to some degree direct them towards the behavior that we want them to do. And then we reward them, right? We reward them with like praise. We reward them with whatever they might desire, right? So it's, a, it's basically just a form of conditioning. And I think one thing that's very critical about our, uh, our actual training method is our is our collar is very adjustable. So uh, it's actually adju- it's adjustable in the sense that it um, is somewhat dependent on the environment. So like, as you know, like, uh, like we all live in a world full of distractions and so do our dogs. So there's less distracting environments and that level, like we don't, it's very easy to get their attention. But if they're like at a noisy street corner, like in New York City, you might need to get their attention a little bit differently. So um, we basically do that just to make sure that they realize that we are their, we are their like leader. We have like a proprietary collar, proprietary e-collar, um, that we have, a, we have an exclusive partnership with, um, sport dog. I don't know if you're familiar with sport dog at all. Uh, but it's actually for like sport dogs, like working dogs. Uh, and we apply that same technology to pets. Um, and it gives the dog, it gives the owner a lot more control and then ultimately like confidence that, uh, that their dog is reliable. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah. Um, so okay. yeah, like the, the, the yeah. So that's kind of like, it's interesting when, when you go to, I had to go to sit mean sit school. They teach you these, these like methodologies. And, um, but it's like any framework, right? Like you kind of mash it together. It becomes your own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, that's kind of what they did. Okay. Well, yeah. uh, but so okay, so they have this this method that they um, is, it kind of says is their is their signature method, and it, it, they expect all the franchisees to use that. That's the core. Um, but then every a lot of everything else you can kind of um, do on your own. Very interesting, and I imagine that that for you in particular was a, was a great fit because as you as you said, like you like building systems, so you have the freedom to to like all of the kind of business operation or at least a lot of the business operations. You can use your creativity and your systematic nature to build stuff, um, but what you would have lacked, like how to train dogs, that's what they give you. So it yeah. seems like a great, yeah, exactly, kind of fit for you. Um, yeah, for sure. One of the things that uh, is a theme and 
at the intersection of ETA and franchising, again, is like rolling up franchises. So there are a lot of um, kind of legacy or mature franchises where the the original or previous generation of franchisees are now retiring, boomers, like like independent businesses. And so while an independent, like a, like a single location of a franchise um, might not generate very much SDE, maybe just 100,000 SDE, if the playbook is to aggregate them uh, and you know quickly you know say, take a you know like a fragmented um, franchise network, but you know you you kind of look at your geographic market and you see that there's 20 different whatever it is, and and you know there there's 20 different owners or 15 different owners. There, there's a path there to you know buy one, the first one, too small a business in its own right, but for that toehold for that that entree into this you know, into this network. And then from there, you know, hope and expect to then rapidly acquire a bunch more in your market and then emerge with seven, 10, 15 um, franchise locations. And then you have a quite a sizable business. And each of those acquisitions is actually quite seamless in a franchise network yeah. because the integration is 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 really easy, um, depending on the franchise, of course, but in many cases it is. Certainly more than, than buying 15 independent businesses and integrating all yeah. those together. So, from that perspective, did you think about that, and, and what did it, what did Sit Mean Sit look like from that perspective? Yeah, I definitely thought about that. Um, this this seller actually started to do that. Oh, um, a little bit more, a little bit prematurely, but he was started there and then realized that Austin was just a cash cow, and the other location was distracting him. So hmm. he owned San Antonio and he owned Austin. I think he actually scaled up even to. Seattle. Um, and so he, he, I don't think he had the right systems at the time. So it's probably a little bit more challenging to, to replicate the success. Um, but yeah, definitely. Like, I mean, like there are being that sit means sit is like a, is a younger and growing, um, franchise. Like there's still a lot of geographic opportunity. I mean, even in Austin, for example, like I own, I own two territories. Um, however, like there's, there's territories around Austin that are, that are growing and that are unowned. Um, and then I could, I could gradually enter as well. So, um, so yeah, definitely. I mean, that's something that, um, we've definitely considered. I, I think the thing that like we, we mentioned earlier was that like one location might generate like, say like 250 or 300 in SDE, which is nice. So like we might need to roll up less or like yeah. scale to like a, uh, like a, like a fewer number level, um, uh, but still scale a bit. So, um. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. And how do you think, how, how should one think about like, so this is a, let's call it a 13 year old franchise. And like, I did a Google map search for sit means sit in my market, the DC metro area. And there's just like one, like North of Baltimore. So in the DC metro yeah. area, like that's far and pretty remote. And so point being yeah. like, it clearly hasn't really penetrated. I mean, it, it barely exists here. Um, right. So, so it's not like a franchise that just is like in every market. Is that something to be like concerned about, or is it just like dog dog training? You know, there there isn't the isn't there's not going to be the demand for dog training that there is for you know gyms or you know the next quick service restaurant. It's just like a you know smaller market, so therefore there's not going to be yeah as many of them. Or how do you like how do you think about that and interpret that? Yeah, I do. I actually agree with your latter perspective or opinion in that like. Austin is a metropolitan area. However, we do have a lot. Like, it's not as densely populated as certain areas. 
Uh, and so because of that, like people are more prone to having dogs and larger dogs and, and taking those dogs out for like off leash activities. Uh, and so there likely will be a higher uh, demand for dog training uh, or just like a different type of dog training. Whereas like a metropolitan area, like you might, you might still have dogs, but they're maybe in a more controlled environment. There might not mm-hmm. be as many opportunities to like take them hiking, let's say, or like mm-hmm. take them to like so many other like uh, interactive like uh, activities. Like, I mean, they probably have dog parks um, and so forth. But I think that's probably one way of looking at it. Um, it's an interesting, interesting point. I do think you need more space ultimately. I mean, that's one thing too, is that our facilities require space. So ah. um, yeah, so our facilities are like four to five. Can it be anywhere from like four? thousand square feet to like eight thousand to whatever however large we want them to be i mean there's definitely limits and like reasonable limit i believe sit means sit also started off as like a uh almost a um a mobile dog training company right they'd come to you they'd train your home uh and so forth and there would be no facility however i think that the folks who have who have facilities are much more profitable because they don't need to travel. They can they can scale up in a, in a central location a lot faster. So there's probably more of a movement. That's a really good question. That's like why um, why is dog training more uh, available or um, I don't know like more successful in other markets than others? Um, but at least that'd be my well, and, and actually, Shrug, to be clear, there are dog training companies, dog training yeah, businesses, yeah. just not. And sit. I guess, I guess one of the other, yeah, just not sit means sit. I guess one of the other franchises or corporate efforts at dog training is Woofs. I, there's a Woofs I've seen. Do you know? Do you know this brand? I've never, I've never heard of Woofs. Okay, okay. So I think it's maybe, a maybe, franchise. maybe it's still a very. I think maybe dog training franchising might be still pretty fragmented then, mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. could also be another case. Is that like there's no, like we claim we're the largest. Uh, we are, I mean, I think nationally we do have the most locations, which is great. Like it's a great selling point. Um, however, like it, it's still not like so sizable that like we own the market, you know, like we might be like 1%, 1% of the whole. Yeah. Um, and Wolf's might be another percent, right? Yeah. Well, Shrag, I want to, I want to, um, wrap us up here, but, uh, it's, to do that, let's just hear a little bit more about kind of dog, dog training business just broadly, not necessarily, um, the franchise aspect of it. How much does it cost to have your dog trained? Like what, what is the, the LTV of a customer in dog training land? Yeah. So our programs range anywhere from 800 to 3000. And that ultimately depends on your dog's behavior. So, um, it all, it honestly varies, uh, just because like every dog varies, like it's a human, right? So they come with their own temperament, their own background, et cetera. Um, and so, uh, and the, and the kind of the con- average contribute, I kind of based on a contribution margin, um, is around 70%. So, which I think is really healthy. So let's say like if it's around, um, uh, like $3,000, um, I don't know, package, uh, we'll probably, we'll keep around 70% of that, which I think is 2,100. And that's after labor, um, that's after like in- inclusive of. I think what we include in there is basically like the service cost. It's almost like a it's almost like a service unit cost that we include there. So it's labor, um, our collar that we have to use, um, and then uh, does not include operating expenses, obviously. So um, yeah, so yeah, seventy percent is pretty good in, from that perspective. 
Um, yeah. Wait, that's really good, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really good. And so, so then, I mean, after that, you don't, you don't have a lot of other expenses. Like you don't have a lot of over, you have we your have rent. rent. Yeah. Big rent on a 5,000, 8,000 square foot place. Yeah. We have rent. We have like, I mean. And you got your GM for, for, for two locations. So that. Yeah. 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 I pay myself. I pay myself a, a small salary. Um, I have my office staff um, who are basically like customer, take, it's a customer success or customer service specialist. And they do a pretty good job of like scheduling, coordinating, like, and so forth. So, and how much, um, but with all of that overhead, or it's not so much, but with that overhead, um, how much capacity do you have there? Like, could you launch an, another territory and not have to do much additional hiring? Like you already, you could already handle it with the capacity you have. We would need to do more hiring. Okay. Um, the way, the way that like actually the seller described to me how he scaled in from like one to two locations was, and he does this already. We do this already. We, they rotate. Um, like trainers. So it's not like a trainer is dedicated to a specific location. I mean, there's uh, a preference for one and we'll try to meet that preference, but they might be like, we have North and South. So they'll maybe North four days and South one. So let's say like we open up like the East, they might be like three, one and one. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're, we're somewhat constrained by uh, our like actual capacity, but not significantly. We basically right now, like we, um, we could open one. I would like to hire like one to two more trainers. It's not, it's, it's strange. Like I'm like a try to be systematic and scientific about like my next step. But I think when it comes to like opening a new location, it's a combination of like a gut and also like, okay, what, what makes sense um, in terms of like the people that we have and then the demand that we have. Yeah. So right now I don't think our, de our demand is because we just, um, we just ended right or we're ending our holiday season right q q4 tends to be not the best for for service-based businesses specifically like discretionary you could say this is semi-discretionary um uh so like our demand is just meeting our supply right now, um which is good so we can get if you want to train your dog today we can get him trained probably in the next like two weeks uh but like I'm, I'm imagining in the next two quarters are going to change significantly. Like demand's going to far out, far exceed supply, uh, and so like we'll need to, and we are going to be hiring. So at that point, then it makes sense to be uh, consider a new facility and so forth. But I haven't seen the data yet, so I don't want to make that make that judgment or or take that step yet. So. Yeah, you said you're paying yourself a, a small salary, so yeah. Is that just in, in, in an abundance of prudence or? or uh, yeah, kind of. Like, I want to make sure that I can like live like well enough, um, pay pay my mortgage, have like a decent lifestyle. And then um, I, I, I think we might have discussed this in our first call is I, I follow uh, uh, Profits First. Mm -hmm. which I think it's been really helpful. And so like I do have like a pretty healthy um, owner's discretionary bucket like, that I've just kept. I mean, I could, I could access it and distribute it to myself, but um, I'm trying to figure, I, I want to keep it more so to reinvest. Um, and if there's like larger expenses that I have to, I have to have, then I, I will um, withdraw it. But I mean, there's no need to right now. So um, yeah, it's not honesty. And I'm, I'm making a lot less than I was, was as a PM, but it's okay. I'm having a lot more fun. <laughs> well, it's also presumably um, not always going to be that way. You're in your year one and, right. you're, and you're being conservative and getting a lay of the land. Right, I'm right, assuming. right, right. I'm being, and like, I'm an extremely, it's it, like, I'm pretty, 
um, aggressive when it comes to like experimenting and growth and like trying to move it, move the ball forward. But I'm very conservative when it comes to like estimating expenses and like, I, I will always, I always overestimate. I'm always going to add buffers. Like it's just, I'm, it's like just natural. Like I, I don't even have to like account. Like it's not like I don't have to think about it. It just happens naturally for me. So. Mm-hmm. No, sounds like a good yeah, way to be yeah. conservative financially, yeah. but kind of risky with your experimentation right. and things that maybe don't cost as right. much money. Cool. Well, um, this has been great. Now uh, we covered a lot of territory. How can, as I said, I found you on LinkedIn. You, you posted um, when you made this acquisition. So I was yeah. thrilled to see that and connect with you. Um, so I'll, I'll link to your LinkedIn. Uh, are you active on Twitter? I do write a bit. I mean, I, I kind of took a pause on that also last year. Um, it's just my first and last name, chiragsha.io. Yeah, I mean, feel free to reach out to me. Um, always open to, to helping others kind of get there. So, Well, encouragement to you to participate in SMB Twitter, if you were already comfortable in one yeah, Twitter yeah. RE Twit, you should get on SMB Twit. And people would love to follow your journey there. It's, an, it's a really yeah. helpful, awesome, collaborative community. Lots of people doing lots of interesting, fun things, and lots For of my sure. guests have come from there. So, um, yeah. But I'll link all of that to the show notes. And uh, yeah, look forward to reconnecting uh, later this year, seeing how things are going. Thank you very much for coming on, Chirac. Yeah, no, yeah. I really appreciate you having me. Thank you.